0: Our theme for this year is living by the book. Different people live by different rules. Uh, Those around us and many in this room perhaps live by different principles, different concepts, different rules of life. Uh, Our belief in this series and this uh, work that we're doing this year is that there is a book that is infallible, that is the most certain guide, is the most accurate guide, The most helpful guide of advice and instruction and guidance for life. We believe that. We believe it is written by the Holy Spirit of the living God. We want to learn how to be better at living by that infallible guide. We started with Psalm 19, uh, which was just read for you. David's life was one of many experiences. He was a man after God's own heart. We'll begin to study him tonight, by the way, in our new Faith Walkers series on Sunday evenings. Uh, We're going to tackle David, who is one of the most amazing characters in the Bible. Uh, We'll begin with him. He lived a wonderful life and did all sorts of wonderfully amazing things, but he also had a lot of troubles. He had all kinds of experience, highs and lows, and toward the end of his life, he thought about all of that and wrote his experiences with God's Word, or the book. Psalm 19, he called it the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the ordinance of the Lord. All all meaning the book, God's Word. And what he concluded, well, David believed that the book was a complete thing. And it was able to transform people. He believed it was reliable and that it would make people wise. He believed that it was the right path, not just the opposite of wrong, but the one true path, the right path, the best path to give joy to life. He believed that the book enlightens us so that we can see clearly. It, It brings things into bright focus that we don't see without the book. He believed that the book was without fault and that it was relevant today. It doesn't matter what time, culture, how primitive, how sophisticated, whatever your society is, the book is relevant. And he said that the book is true and entirely good. That's where we started last week. That's why we ought to live by that book. Paul told the Christians at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he said, when you received the word of God, as in a prayer, he said, I'm thankful for you because when you received the word of God, you accepted it, not as the word of men, not as just another option, not as just something that somebody dreamed up, but as it actually is, the word of God. And it's at work in you who believe. Here's a modern translation of Timothy's instructions from Paul, 2 Timothy 3.16, a favorite passage. And I don't use modern translations but very often, but the New Living Translation says it this way. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. And teaches us to do what's right. I like that because that's so close to what David said at the end of Psalm 19. He said it warns us and, and it has rewards for us. It doesn't just show us where we're wrong, but it shows us what's best. Scripture does that. The book does that. Now with all of those things kind of laid before us last week, I asked repeatedly, what if? What if all that's true? What if David's right, that the word of God is the best guide? What if Paul's instructions to Timothy were true, that the book is the best thing for us? It shows us where we're wrong and it guides us in the right path. If that's true, shouldn't we live by the book? So that's our premise this year. Now, some of you may have been thinking about that this week. How how do you live by the book? Well, there is a book, actually a man-made book, that's written by a man who tried to live by the book. It's called A Year of Living Biblically. A man named A.J. Jacobs wrote it, and his premise, was well, he said to start out, to, he was determined to follow the Bible literally for a year. Now, in case you wonder how that worked, here's what happens if you live by the book. That was him at the start of the year, and then at the end of the year. The book does say, don't trim your beard. So he saw that, literally, he took it literally, he quit trimming his beard. And after a year, that's what he looked like. Now, (laughs) you've got to understand a few things. Uh, Jacobs, A.J. Jacobs, is a humorist. He tries to be funny, and sometimes he is pretty funny. He's also an agnostic. He doesn't believe that the Bible is God's book. Uh, so some of his reasoning in his book is a little questionable, obviously. He didn't start out to follow the book as a desire to follow God. He set out to write a bestseller. That's what he wanted to do. And he's written other books like this where he tries something. And if he read the whole Encyclopedia Britannica one time and wrote a book about that, uh, the book's called Knowing It All or something like that. And he is kind of funny, but in this, I understand his purpose was not to follow God. His purpose was to write a bestseller, but he did learn some things. The first thing he did was read the Bible. That's a good thing. And he made a list of every rule in it. Now, once again, I question what he called a rule and what he didn't, but he came up with a list of over 700 rules. And he set out to follow those literally for a year. He said some of them were pretty easy. Like, don't sacrifice your child to Moloch. He said, I I came out all right on that one. Did that one pretty easily. The book says, don't marry your wife's sister. He said, that was easy. My wife doesn't have a sister. Uh, The book says, don't eat owls and vultures. Well, he said, that was okay, I, I did fine with that. Uh, when he found a command to blow the ram's horn, he went out on the street and blew the ram's horn. Okay. Uh, when the book said, play the ten-stringed harp, he played the 10 string harp. And then he sat down and wrote his book, A Year of Living Biblically. Now, some of the things were a little more difficult. like like the part about stoning adulterers. He, once again, remember, he's trying to be funny. So he said he figured out a way to do that and finally found a guy in the park that admitted to being an adulterer. And so he picked up some pebbles and threw them at the guy. And he said he got that one covered. Some of it he tried to be funny, but he found that some of it was hard and admitted it was hard. He said the book says not to covet, not to lie, and not to gossip. He said that's 60% of what we do in New York City, is lie and covet and gossip. He said that was hard to try not to do that, but he really did try not to do it. And interestingly enough, and not surprising, since he was an agnostic, he found some of the Bible to be old-fashioned, out-of-date, and baffling, so he just ignored it there were some things that just don't fit in the 21st century, so he, he just kind of ignored them and put them aside. Now, that was his plan. Our plan is quite a bit different. Our plan for living by the book is not to make a list of rules. In fact, this may gladden your heart. You don't even have to read the Bible in this plan. Now, I think it'd be a good thing if you're reading the Bible... I think it's a very good thing, and you ought to be, but that's not required in our plan this year. We're going to learn to live by the book. What we're going to do is pick some key verses, and we're going to try to live by them. If we picked one new verse a week, we won't pick more than one verse a week. If we picked one a week, that'd only be 30 or 40 this year because we'll get interrupted with holidays and vacations and other things. So we might get 30 or 40 verses this year. Uh, some verses are going to take us more than one week, so we're not going to have that many. So I hope you see it's going to be very simple to learn to live by the book and get better at it. I didn't say it was easy. Some of them will be hard, just like Mr. Jacob has figured out, but it's going to be very simple. Okay. Okay. In verse 9 of Psalm 119, uh, the psalmist asks a question. How can a young man keep his way pure? And he answers it, by living according to your word. Now, sometimes we read that. In fact, we've written a song about how so the young secure their hearts and and all that. And we kind of limit it to teenagers and we kind of limit it to being, well, that means being sin free. Keep your life pure. No, that's not what it means. If you remember last week, David talked about the word of God is pure. It's much more than that. David said you you get warned by the book and you get rewarded by the book. Think of medicine. Most medicines that we take are just to get us out of trouble. We're already sick. We need a medicine. And so we take it to kill whatever's bothering us. But there are some medicines that are preventive. They keep you from getting sick. They keep you from having a heart attack, perhaps. And then there are some things that are good for you. You know, like blueberries are good for you. Now, I saw a guy this morning walking around, he had a blueberry muffin. Now, that's not blueberries. (laughs) I didn't say blueberry muffins were good for you, John. But... (laughs) Remember Psalm 19 we talked about last week. The book keeps you out of trouble, and it's good for you. So in Psalm 119, which is on your handout, there's a lot of tips in there about how to live according to the book. And that'll keep our life pure. It'll help us. It'll keep us out of trouble. It'll, it'll benefit us. It'll reward us. All the things we've been talking about. Okay. So you can read all of Psalm 119, well, you can't read all of it on the handout, just verses 9 through 16, because Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's got a lot of stuff in there about the Word. But we're using that one little passage where uh, the psalmist wrote, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, by living according to your Word. Now, from that little passage, we're going to take some tips for living by the word. Our first clue is in verse 11. The psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart. Okay, that's our step one. Step one is we want to make sure that we know One part of the book. That's our. This is our plan now. There's only three steps in it. It's going to be easy and simple. We will make sure that we know one part of the book, and we're going to do that one verse at a time. It might have a two verse together sometime that we have to do, but it's going to be one passage at a time, and we're going to know what that means. Now, for instance, we did this a few years ago with one verse. We did worked on it all year, actually. Our verse was John 10.10, 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So our theme for the whole year was living abundantly. And we kept going over that verse, and we, we hopefully know it a lot better today than we did then. Well, the verses that we pick out in this, we're going to have to know them. We're going to have to implant them. They're going to have to become ingrained in us. How many of you in here know your alphabet? That's a slow bunch, I realize. <laughs> Whew. Okay, maybe I better be more basic here. Than... Everybody knows their alphabet. You learned it 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, however old you are. You ingrained that in there where you can say the alphabet easily. Yeah. your multiplication tables. How do you know what nine times eight is? Some of you are getting your pencil out now. <laughs> you know that because you ingrained those in you. That's the only way you can learn it. A while back, my granddaughter was working on her multiplication tables, and she wanted to practice a little bit, and she didn't know some of them. She knew most of them, but some of them she hadn't got yet. And I said, well, you're not ready. For the test, you've got to go over them, and you just got to memorize them. You just got to put it in your head where it's stuck in there. And once you've done that, once you've ingrained it, once you've made it a part of you, then you'll know them forever. So we're going to make sure that we know the verse we're talking about. November the eighth, nineteen sixty-five. Howard Rutledge was flying. His Air Force plane over North Vietnam and was shot, shot down. He was captured, imprisoned, and stayed in POW camp for seven years. He endured torture, sickness, starvation, loneliness beyond what any of us can imagine. He suffered all day, every day. And if you ask Howard Rutledge today, how did he endure that? How did he survive through those horrible conditions. He said, he will say, he survived by the power of memory. They didn't have anything. So he and his fellow prisoners tried to recall something that would be helpful, and they focused on Scripture. They tried to remember Scriptures that they knew, and and Bible stories that they knew, or Bible songs that they knew. He says that one day Harry Jenkins in a nearby cell whistled the, the code whistle that he had some important urgent something to communicate. So he could hardly wait till they had that little time of communication each day uh, to find out what the urgent new was. And Harry Jenkins said, I got a new one. He said, I remembered a story about Ruth and Naomi. And he told the other prisoners the parts of the story that he could remember, and they all started to fill in the parts that they could remember from their childhood. And Harry Jenkins' urgent news was 3,000 years old. But they kept that story going for days. And each of them would think about it, and they would add things to it, and then they would think about what it meant. And then they would apply it to their situation and what God did there and what he would do the hint here. Howard said, that we knew the Lord's Prayer. We knew the 23rd Psalm. He said our favorite verse was John 3.16. He said, for my first 18 years, I went to a small Southern Baptist Sunday school. He said, I was amazed at how much I remembered. I didn't set out to memorize scripture or memorize songs, but as I worked at it, things came back. He said we started with John 3.16. He said pretty soon we eventually reconstructed verses 17 and 18. All of us together, we got it. So those scriptures and hymns and verses that came to our minds said so I never dreamed when I was going to that Sunday school that one memorized verse. Could make a whole day bearable. Now we're not POWs, and we'll never be. But knowing the book is no less important in our lives. If you commit to be here this year, if you come along on this this journey to learn to live by the book. A year from now, you'll have 20 or 30 or 40 verses that will make life better. And we're going to know some of the book. Now, another clue is in verse 13 of Psalm 119. The psalmist said, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. So our step two is, we will repeatedly speak of that part of the book. We're going to know it. We're going to know that verse. And then we're going to repeatedly speak it. Now, there's two reasons for this. Number one, it's just human nature. It reinforces things. It enforces that we know it if we repeat it constantly. It'll help us know that part of the book. The power of positive reinforcement, everybody knows that. If you've been to a motivational seminar, if you've been to sales training, if you've been to anything, they tell you that. They say, repeat this over and over. Put it on your mirror in the morning. Say it to yourself while you're shaving. It'll become a part of you. Now, there's a reason that that works. It's the way we're made. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. What we say has great power. What we speak has great power. And so the psalmist said, I, with my lips, I recount all of your laws. He spoke them all the time. At the end of Psalm 19, David said, May the words of my mouth be acceptable. So speaking, the part of the book that we know is very important. Now, it's just human nature that it helps. But secondly... It settles things. If we say the part of the book that we know, if we speak it, it settles things. Remember the story of Jesus in the wilderness. Satan, Satan himself, came and tempted him. And he would put the temptation on Jesus, which were fantastic temptations, powerful uh, incentives to, to do wrong. And what was Jesus' response? Every time... Thus saith the Lord, God says, the book says, and he would tell him a part of God's word. And when he had said that, what happened? It was over. It was finished. Satan left. Knowing part of the book and speaking part of the book will settle things. Now contrast that with what Eve did. Satan also went to tempt Eve at the very beginning of things. And he came in and he tempted her about doing the one thing that she wasn't supposed to do. What could Eve have done? Eve could have reached in her pocket and pulled out what she knew. She could have put a thus saith the Lord on Satan. She could have said, God said, do not eat from that tree. That would have settled it. That would have ended. I'm sure Satan would have come back, but that would have ended that session. But instead of reaching in her pocket and getting a, thus saith the Lord, she reached in and she pulled out some human reason. She said, well, if it would make me wise, maybe I would be like God. And then she reached in her pocket and she pulled out some emotions, human feelings. She said, it does look like it would be good. I bet it would taste good. See the difference? She had all these things at her disposal, and we've got all those things on our tool belt. We can pull any of them off we want. What Jesus did was he pulled off the thus saith the Lord. He used that weapon. He used that tool and it fixed things. It settled it. It was done. Every morning, every night, when you're tempted, if you know part of the word and you speak that part of the word, it'll settle things. If our passage was, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly, if we know that, if it's in there, And there are situations that come up where that fixes things. We speak it. Our last point is in verse 14. We're going to know. We're going to speak. And the psalmist said in verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. I rejoice in following your statutes. Now the psalmist rejoiced, and that is good. Don't take me wrong, but that's totally unnecessary. I don't care if you rejoice or not. Because this step, step three is, we will act on that truth from the book. If you rejoice at it, that's good. And I think eventually you will rejoice at it when you get to the stage David was. But in our plan, you don't need to rejoice. You just need to obey. You just need to act on that truth. Do you understand that? If you're going to live by the book, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. I know that's strange to this culture. You don't like that. You say, oh, I'm just going to be like A.J. Jacobs. If I don't like it, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to ignore it. Now, if we're going to learn to live by the book, we're going to know a part of it, we're going to speak it, and then we're going to act on it. Let me try that. This is the new year. Some of you are sitting down and working your family budget over, trying to decide what to spend on what, and you may get to that giving part. Well, what are we going to give to the church? We talked about that a year ago. Well, what are we going to do about that this year? Well, I don't feel like we can increase it. I I feel like the times are going to get tough, and they probably are going to get tough. It'd be reasonable probably just to not increase it and hold on for a little while. Well, Jesus said, I've come that they have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus said, give and it'll be given unto you. Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. Jesus said, give and it'll be given to you, heaped up, pressed down, shaken together and running over. You may not feel like it. It may be scary, but the book says you can't outgive God. So you've got to decide, am I going to operate by human reason? Am I going to operate by human feelings? Or am I going to operate by the book? That's the secret to this. Is acting on it, how it feels is irrelevant? The book has power. If we follow the book, we will live more abundantly. Okay? We've got to decide to be obedient to the book. We're going to make that as easy as we can. We're going to pick things that we can handle. But we've got to decide to be obedient to the book rather than to our feelings. That was Eve's problem. It's our problem. That's our problem today. In this culture, in the society, in the church, where we've got problems is because we don't follow the book. Anybody agree there's too many divorces today? Yeah, everybody agrees that. I know everybody knows some where there's a reason and a good reason and a scriptural reason and all that, but there's too many divorces, folks. Why is that? How does that happen? Well, today a man or a woman says, Well, I don't feel like I love him anymore. I don't feel in love with her, and I think I've fallen out of love. The book says, Love your spouse. The book says, Love your spouse. That's a command, it doesn't have anything to do with a feeling. The kind of love it's talking about is not a feeling. We've gone through that. We know what the words mean, and you just got to decide: Am I going to obey that or not? You say, "Well, that, that's a mighty hard teaching." Well, are you going to live by the book or not? And, and you may say, "Well, I, I just can't." I can. I know the book says to love my wife. Like Jesus loved the church and gave his life for it, and I'm supposed to lay, my, lay down my life for her, but I don't feel like I can do that. Okay, we'll go down to a lower level of love then. Jesus said, love your neighbors. Still a command. You say, well, I don't know if I can do it." Jesus said, love your enemies. You can't get around it. You've got to love yeah, now You may choose not to. You may decide that my my I, feel, I don't feel like I can. Logically, I don't want to. I think about things better here, and God wants me to be happy. And you got all sorts of excuses, but are you going to live by the book or not? If you obey, the blessings will follow. The feelings will follow. It will come after the obedience. Let me tell you a story about when I used to work in the business world. We developed products the same way for years at this company. And we got where it didn't work very well. It was a very poor product development method. It gave us all kinds of problems and cost way too much money and too much rework and all kinds of things. So we decided we got to do better at this. So we found an expert that in product development that had a quantified way of developing new products, and we paid him to come in and tell us about it, and he told us all these principles, and we listened to them, and we said, those are good principles. If we follow those, those will help us develop a product cheaper and faster and better, and everything will be better. So he he said you needed a team, and we put together a team to develop this new product that we wanted, and I served as the champion of that team. I got helped them as they worked along. And we put on that team people that had been developing products the old way for years and years and years. Let me tell you a secret. None of them believed it would work. Absolutely none of them really believed it would work. And part of the process was once the team got formed, they had to name themselves, come up with a name for this team. And so they proposed all sorts of names. And after we talked it around a little while, you know what we named the team? We named it the Act As If Team. And we committed to act as if this was going to work. Okay? Nobody really, I I thought it would work. I wasn't sure. But the people on the team... Really didn't think it was going to work. It was just so different than anything we'd ever done. They had their minds made up, their feelings made up, their emotions made up. This wasn't going to work. We committed to act as if it was going to work. And so we'd get in a big discussion sometimes. Well, this isn't the way we did it and all that. I'd say, what's your name? Act as if. Okay, let's go on. And we'd act as if for a few more days. And the end of the story is it worked. It worked. It did work great. Yeah, but we had to get past that point of what we felt and what we logically thought and all that. We had to act as if this was right. Now, the power of doing things the right way, of following good principles, showed up in the business world. I'm trying to tell you there is more power in the Word. If David is right and Paul is right and all the people that we talked about were reliable witnesses that this is the best way to live life. When we get to this third step, we've got to act as if it's going to work. We're going to know it. We're going to speak it. We're going to act like it will work. We just sang a song on Bended Knee a while ago that says in it, change my life, O Holy Spirit. Make me fresh and ever new. See, there's more power in this word. It will change us. Living by good principles, developing products by good principles is a good idea, but living by the book is a divine idea. Let me tell you one more thing about acting as if. A.J. Jacobs, the guy that wrote that book, The Agnostic, learned that he changed through the year. One of the rules was to give thanks. And he said, So I worked at that. I thought of things to give thanks for. He said, I went a little overboard. He said, I'm giving thanks for everything. And he said, by the end of the year, it was strange, but great. I was never so aware of thousands of little things that go right all the time. He didn't believe God's principles. He didn't do it because he believed in God. But he did it, and he learned something. He changed. The Sabbath. He said, I was a workaholic. He said, I'm the kind of guy that checks my messages in the movie. I work all the time, but I'm supposed to take a day and rest. He said, I tried hard at doing that. And he said, it was a bizarre and glorious feeling to have a rest in the middle of the week. Psalm 119.5, the psalmist says, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. New Living Translation says, Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. That's our goal, is to consistently act like what we know and what we speak. All right, you've heard of as simple as one, two, three. It doesn't get any simpler than this, folks. Three steps, we're going to follow it on every verse we tackle, every series we tackle. We're going to know one part of the book. We're going to speak it individually and at home. We're going to act on that truth and we'll see what happens. Well, what will happen? Some of you think, I don't know about this plan. You don't have to know about it. Just do it. Now, what's going to happen? I'll give you some expected results. In Ezra chapter 7 and verse 9. It speaks about Ezra, and Ezra, a lot of people think, wrote Psalm 119. I've been saying the psalmist all day because nobody knows who for sure wrote it, but some people think Ezra did. And listen to what the book says about Ezra. It says, the gracious hand of his God was on him. For, why was God's hand on Ezra? For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord. There's our expected results. Whether you feel like it, whether you believe it, whether you've got logical reasons to or not, if you'll take the part of the book that we're going to talk about, know it, ingrain it in you, speak it, and then act on it, the gracious hand of God will be upon you and amazing things will happen. We will be blessed by this. So we have our purpose and our plan, living by the book. Will you learn to live by the book with us this year? I invite you to join us as we go through these steps, tackling a little different topic every week. Uh, I guarantee you, you'll be blessed if you join us in this. Next week, start the new series, Living Eternally by the Book. Living Eternally by the Book. We'll spend about four weeks on this, probably look at four verses why am I tackling this first? Well, how are you planning on being in heaven? I assume everybody here plans to be in heaven. What's your plan? How, how are you going to get there? There are dozens of ways out in the world. You take a poll this week at work. I ask people, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? You'll get 20, 30 different answers. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of answers in the world, but that topic is covered in the book. It tells us, it it warns us, it it rewards us, it it gives us the true path. So if we want to live eternally in heaven, we're going to live there by the book. It's got the one sure plan is in the book. I'll even give you a little advance. You can start working on the first verse. You can start knowing it. The first verse is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yeah, you may be able to quote that now, but we're going to know it. We're going to work on it a little bit and know it. I'm going to expect you to speak it all the next week, and then we're going to figure out how do we act on that. What do we do about that famous verse? See if we can learn how to act on it. Living eternally by the book will be our first topic. Lesson is yours this morning. We invite you back next week as we tackle that important topic. If you're here this morning and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we want you to do that today and we'll invite you to come. Let's stand and sing.